We've been talking about This Means War as is, is the, uh, uh, a series we've been in. And um, we, the, the reality is we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Now, I've, I've heard from other people, not, not you wonderful, gracious, God-fearing people, but I've heard from other people, spiritual war, that is crazy. But here's the thing. If you believe in a spiritual reality, but you don't believe that spiritual reality affects you in any way, what's dumber? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I believe that there's a spiritual reality. I believe that both sides are, are, are opposed to one another. But I don't believe that affects me in any way. Are you out of your mind? Of course it does. Of course it does. And so we've been talking about our enemy uh, has been trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to steal our focus, kill our joy, and destroy our effectiveness. But God doesn't leave us out there alone. He's given us the armor of God. So what we've been doing every week is we've been breaking down what each piece is and how do we put that armor on. It says to put on the full armor of God. Well, we need to know how to do that. Um, And so the first week we looked at the belt of truth. And the belt of truth, that's our base. That's the first thing we put on that's the thing that holds it all together and the truth is what the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ the truth is that you are loved by God and you, and and uh, uh, and you are to live your life um, in that love that's the truth so the, the truth is that you are forgiven uh, and you are loved by God the, the truth of the gospel the breastplate of righteousness was the second thing and remember righteousness is two different things number one it's it's uh, it's being made right in God's sight which is what Jesus did on the cross for us but number two it's doing right according to to God. It's reading his word and doing what it says. It's believing that his way is better and it's living like that. Last week we talked about the shoes of peace. Um, and if you remember as we talked about peace, we said that, that God absolutely has made peace for us. That's the gospel. That's the belt of truth. God has made peace for us. So if you are a follower of Jesus, as you stand before God and, and he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your screw-ups. He doesn't see your, your, uh, uh, how you fall short. Instead, he sees the cross. And he sees what Jesus has done. And he says, you know what? You're clean. You're forgiven. You're mine. Because of what Jesus has done. But also, what we talked about, what we focused on mainly, was having that peace in our lives. We live in a world absent of peace. Constant noise, constant just commotion and all these things. And so we talked about having that peace in you. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to know it. Am I right? It's to have that peace in you. And if you remember the scripture we looked at, what it says is that in all circumstances, if you want to have peace, what do you do? You pray. You go to God in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And so we go to God and we pray. And in that, we trust him in those moments. We trust him in every single moment. You pray. Um, And so we're looking, we're going to continue on. And we're looking at the shield of faith today, the shield of faith. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, get out your Bible app. Uh, You can go to the app store and just search Bible. You'll find it there. um, And you can follow along. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13 through 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's talk about the shield, okay? So think about the first century shield. I've got a picture of it here. Now, this shield, it looks like, it, it looks like it's made of something really substantial. These shields are pieces of wood put together. And they're glued together in layers and layers and layers of wood. Now, on the outside of it, sometimes a very thin little piece of brass, maybe in the middle, uh, was put. Uh, some sort of metal, but very thin type of metal. 
And then on the rest of it, maybe it was fabric, maybe it was leather. And so this is the type of shield that, that we're thinking about here. And so we're commanded to take up a shield of faith to protect what, okay? Like, I think we need to remind ourselves what this armor is protecting us. And it's protecting this new life that we have in Christ. This new life that you're trying to live that leads to joy and, and purpose and meaning and peace. We're, near, we're trying to protect that because what the devil's trying to do is to steal that away from you. He's trying to kill that new life that God's given you. And so we're trying to, we, we protect it by having the shield. But what does the shield protect us from? And what the Bible says here is the flaming darts of the enemy. And what that is, is uh, those are flaming arrows, flaming arrows. Now, here's the problem. What did I just say the shields were made of? Wood. What's on the, the arrows? Fire, all right? You know, and so I don't know if any of you have ever lit a fire, but you should do it. It's cool, kids. No, I'm kidding. No, kids, don't do it, all right? But no, fire, wood, not good, okay? So the problem is if these flaming darts would hit these wooden shields, they had the wrong shield. It was the wrong shield. Now, if they knew that those darts were on fire, if they knew that those arrows were on fire, then what? Maybe they pull out a different type of shield, right? Or maybe they don't, they don't have their little wooden shield and they go, I got, step back, I got this one, right? You know, so maybe they would get the right shield. But here's the problem. The, the flaming darts, the flaming arrows of the Roman Empire were not this. This is a movie, okay? Like this won't work. If they had had these arrows, just an arrow and they just lit the tip, it won't work. It won't fly very far. And all it's going to do is just going to stick in the wood. And then all they have to do is kind of kick it off. It won't work. They were actually really ingenious about it. What they had was like a hollowed out, maybe like a piece of bamboo is what it was kind of like. And in the front of the arrow, they had some sort of, some sort of flammable liquid um, that they would put in this little front part of the arrow. In the back, they would light a wick and they would stick the wick in so it's facing the other direction. And then they would launch an arrow. And so the reality is this arrow would be flying at them and they have no idea that it's a flaming arrow. And so what would they do? No, arrow, I got this. It's an arrow, no big deal. And they would stick their big old wooden uh, 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 shield up there. The arrow would hit. It would break whatever that liquid was, which would splash not only on their wooden shield, but on them. And then that wick would fall in and it would light all of them on fire. And so the reality is it was subtle. They had no idea uh, what the flaming arrows were like. They weren't spectacular. And so what happened was, because the arrow didn't look that threatening, it actually worked with the wooden shield, didn't it? Because what the, the soldier would do, instead of trying to get out of the way, instead of trying to pick up a different shield, what would they do? Oh, I got this. And they would stick that shield up, and what would happen? they just light right up, right? It would just light right up. Uh, and, and so I always think, I don't know why, but every time I've, I've read this this week, I keep thinking about um, the cat in Christmas vacation. Anybody, right? Or, or, when, uh, or when the uncle lights his cigar on the tree, by the Christmas tree, and it just lights up, lights his hair. Anyway, I don't know. But anyway, um, it would light up like that. And so the reality is his attacks are subtle. And we don't know when a flaming dart is coming our way. If you saw that, if you saw like a fiery arrow, would you stand there and be like, bring it on? No, right? Like if you saw a fiery arrow, you'd say, I'm, all right, I'll see you, right? You know what I mean? Like I'm getting away from that, right? And so, and so uh, that, the reality is his attacks are subtle. And so what does the scripture tell us about the shield of faith? It says here, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And you might say this. You might say, of course, of course and all. I have faith at all times. I carry faith with me, right? I've got extra faith in my glove box, okay? Like, 
I always carry faith with me. But the reality is this. Uh, uh, faith isn't something you carry. Faith is something that carries you. Faith isn't something that you can just carry around. Faith is something that carries you. It's something that defines your life. And, and unfortunately, we don't like to be carried by things. We don't like to be out of control. This is a type A personality type country, right? We like to be in control. And and if, if you don't realize that, get married, okay? Like, the, the, the Bible says in Genesis 3, one of the punishments of the fall is there will always be a power struggle between men and women. And it's just how it's going to work, right? Like, it's just how it is. And, and that's just, you know, like, like we, uh, we pulled up Netflix last night, and I said, Ansel, what movie do you want to watch? And I'm kind of, like, hovering over the ones I want to watch, you know what I mean? So it's like... You know, like some stupid comedy about burping and then like, you know, like, you know, people dying. I don't know. So that, I'm kind of on there. And then she's like, I really wanted to see, you know, that, that eat, pray, love. And I'm going, how much more of a chick flick could you pick, right? You know what I mean? And so then the verbal dance starts. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, well, you know, uh, yeah, I guess we can. I mean, I'm kind of tired anyway because I worked all day out in your yard. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess, you know. And she's like, no, I understand that, I understand that. And she's like, you know what, you can watch whatever you want. I'll probably just lay down because I took care of your son all day while cleaning the house and cooking your meals. So it's a struggle, right? It's a struggle. It's kind of like, um, you know, let's say that on May 21st, the rapture had happened, which... By the way, we need to talk about the rapture one day. We'll get to that one day, all right? But anyway, uh, let's say that that had happened. Let's say that, ev- that Jesus had come back. Let's say that everyone is up, is up standing before God, right? And so let's say that maybe he divides them up and he says, all right, women over here, uh, uh, wives over here, husbands over here. And he says, wives, go on in, go on in. Because God's not going to fight with a woman either, right? So wives, go on in, okay? And so he says, husbands, I want you to split up into two groups. Husbands who were whipped by their wives and, and they were completely in control, um, you stand in this line. Um, and, and husbands who were in control of their wives, okay, you stand in this line. Like you, you are completely in control, right? You stand over here. And so what happened was the, the line over here where the husbands were not in control, it was just hundreds and thousands of miles long, right? Of just man after man after man. And then there's one guy in this line over here. And so God is just so disappointed. He said, dude, I made you in my image. I made you the head of the family, right? Just as Christ said of the church, how do you, how do you let me down like this? This is absolutely ridiculous. You need to be more like your brother over here. And then he turns to him, he says, how is it that you ended up in this line instead of this one? And he says, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. So it's all about control, right? It's all about control. And here's the problem is that Faith isn't about control. Faith isn't about us being in control. It's, it's not that at all. And so what happens is, is that because we like to be in control, what do we do? We pick up the wrong shields. We pick up other shields that we think will protect us better, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm more familiar with this. I'm more comfortable with this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up this shield. And the reality is he's shooting flaming arrows and we're picking up wood and we're picking up straw and we're picking up things that cannot help us, that cannot extinguish the darts of the enemy. And so not only that, but, but while we pick up those shields, um, 
the enemy's firing these very subtle attacks at us, very subtle attacks. So what I want us to do, we're going to look at, at just a few of the different shields that you and I pick up all the time instead of the shield of faith. And we're, all go, we're also going to see at the same time, what is that subtle attack? What is that flaming arrow that, that goes along with that shield? What does he shoot with, uh, with that shield um, at us? So we're going to look at that. So let's start here. Num- number one, we're going to look at the first shield is morality. Morality. Now this isn't related to Jesus. This isn't related to Jesus at all. This is the, you're being taught manners when you're a kid. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, you're good for goodness sake, okay? So do this, don't do this, be, you know, be a good kid. However, the problem with this is that, that moralism, when it's taught that way in us, is very relative. So what is defined as good, as morally good, is defined by who? You. Each individual. It all becomes relative. Because some things you can get away with in some houses and some things you can't right? You know, it's just that type of thing. Like I never, my parents never taught me to say yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Maybe they tried and I just, I just, I broke them. I don't know, but they never taught me that. And so when I would go to other people's houses, I had to say it, you know, like their parents quickly corrected that. Okay. And so, so what's morally right, it's, it's relative and that's a problem. That's a huge problem because then what is morality? Um, Elizabeth Taylor, Uh, after seven marriages and five divorces, said this as the San Francisco Chronicle. Here's what she said. I think it's fairly obvious why I was married. As strange as it may sound, I am a very moral woman. I was taught by my parents that if you fall in love, if you want to have a love affair, you get married. I guess I'm very old-fashioned. So in her view, she's morally right that everyone she falls in love with, she marries and then divorces, okay? So in her view, that's morally right, morally acceptable. Um, when I went to France, I was uh, 16, I was about to turn 16 years old. I went a week before my birthday and I stayed with this French family and um, they were super loaded, which I was not used to. All right, so like new country and money. I was like, this is amazing, right? And then I had to go home and uh, I love my parents. But anyway, uh, anyway, they're not here, so don't worry about it. They're probably not gonna listen to this. But anyway, um, and so, so when I went, I went for my, uh, I went over my birthday and my, the morning of my 16th birthday came and um, we, you know, they, they had a, a cake for me, which wasn't customary for them, but they knew that was an American thing. And so they had a cake for me and they sang and, and it was in French and so it didn't mean anything to me. But anyway, they were super nice all day. They didn't make me watch soccer that day, which was super cool because soccer's terrible. And, uh, and anyway, so... It came about 4 o'clock, 4.30, I don't remember exactly what time. We always had tea together, which was awesome. Like, that is so cool that you stop and you just have tea. It's fantastic. America, get on that. But anyway, we were having tea, and they said, it's time for your present. And I'm thinking, car, car, car. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm telling you, these people, they, they, they sneezed money. It was, like, amazing. And uh, no, you know what it was? It was a super expensive bottle of champagne. Like super expensive, right? And so they pull it out and they're all excited and they're all smiles and all this stuff. Now, in my country, not a good thing to buy a 16-year-old alcohol for his 16th birthday, right? Not, not really a good thing in America, right? And so, but there, no big deal. That's a great honor. It's an amazing thing. They were so happy for me. And then I didn't really partake of it and extremely offended them, right? Because what morality can't be relative. It doesn't work that way. Um, and so 
Here's a problem. Morality without objectivism, morality that is relative to each person, is simply narcissism. Every time it's narcissism. Look at Elizabeth Taylor. Who did Elizabeth Taylor care about the most? Elizabeth Taylor. That's why she got married seven times. Not because she loved them, but she loved herself. And if it made her happy, she's going to do it. So that's moral, that's moral relativism. That's narcissism. When I was 16 years old and they offered me that, that alcohol, me turning it down sent a message to them. I'm better than you. What I believe about morality is more important than what you believe about morality. Morality that's relative is narcissism. Uh, and it only serves to do one thing. What is that? Pat yourself on the back. Make yourself feel good, right? And that's not good enough. And it never works. Because why? Because you define good. And so what's the flaming arrow that, that Satan will shoot along with this shield that we pick up? Here it is. We live in a culture of comparison. We live in a culture of comparison. So what that means is that since you set the standard for good in in relative morality, then there will always be someone worse. You know what I mean? Like, you will always meet your own standard. There will always be people who fall short. And we do this in our culture all the time. There's People Magazine does the most beautiful people in the world. Uh, I've been seeing my picture every year. And uh, I don't know. Like, I keep saying, like, oh, we just, you just missed it. So anyway, I don't know. Maybe one day. Uh, but anyway, like, we do that with that. Or, or, like, TV shows. If you ever want to feel good about yourself, like, watch shows like Mari. You know what I mean? Like, I know you're the dad, right? You know what I mean? Like, you watch that stuff and you're like, I am awesome right you know like i need to run for pope can you do that but anyway um or like watch shows like hoarders if you think like you're you're you know you look at your your house you're like man this is a dirty place turn on hoarders and your house will look awesome right you know what i mean like these people have just stacked up newspapers they found like dead cats in people's houses like you're all right all right like your underwear being on the floor is not so bad anymore okay like and so we it's a culture of comparison now here's the problem with that here's where that arrow lights us on fire the reality is there is an objective standard of morality and it's god's standard but here's the thing in romans 3 10 it says no one is good no not one so what do we need we need christ however If morality is defined by you, and you're defined by your morality, then what? You will never need him. Because according to your standard, you're all right. You're good. And so it keeps us from going to Christ. It keeps us from clinging to him. It keeps us from living for him. Because why? I'm good. I'm good. I meet my standard. The second thing that we pick up, the other shield. Second shield is others' faith. Now here's what, let me explain this. You can't resist people's passion. When people are super passionate about something, you're super passionate about it. I had a friend of mine um, who, uh, we, we became really good friends. We met at a wedding, and um, I found out that he played soccer. Um, he played soccer at Memphis, and he went on to play professional soccer. And, he, and, and I found out he was in FIFA 07, which is, a, which is an Xbox game. And I was like, I know somebody in a video game. Like, I was so excited, right? And so, of course, I go get FIFA 07, and I sub him in, and he's terrible. But I sub him in anyway, and I'm like, that's my friend, right? You know, and so... And so he's super passionate about soccer. And so I don't know anything about soccer. So I'm trying to learn, right? Why? Because he's passionate. And so now I feel like I'm passionate about soccer. Well, here's how long that lasted. I watched a match. And you know what happened in that match? It ended in a tie. What? 
That's competition. Your competition ends in a tie. Oh, yeah, it's really exciting. Zero to zero is not exciting, right? That's like going to watch a no-hitter. That's something cool to talk about, but it's awful to see. You just watch two guys play catch for nine innings, right? And it's the same thing in soccer. Like, it ends in a tie. And so when I'm sitting there bored out of my mind, all of a sudden I recognize I don't really have a passion for soccer. I just admire his. And I've kind of tacked on to to his. Now I mercilessly make fun of him for it. But at the time, I really, I clung to that passion. So maybe you cling to other people's faith. So like, I I loved church growing up. And maybe you're the same way. I loved church. Because you know what? When I heard my pastor talk about Jesus and how much Jesus meant to him, oh, that passion, I was just drawn up in it. Or when I heard my student pastors talk about Jesus and talk about, you know, making right decisions and how God's rewarded them, I was like, that is awesome, right? And I wanted to hear about that passion, but was I admiring it or was I making it my own? Or, or maybe preachers, maybe there's some preachers you really like. I know there are preachers that I listen to, um, like different podcasts that I listen to, and, and I follow them, and maybe they're on, they're on Twitter, and so they're constantly, you know, sending updates about, you know, this is the scripture I read, and here's what God showed me. And, I, and you know, they're so passionate. I'm, I'm, I'm all over what they're saying, you know. And, and maybe it's a book. Maybe you're into books. Like, maybe that's, that's really what gets you going. And, and I searched on Amazon. You can buy on Amazon right now 31,776 Christian books. 31,776 Christian books. So maybe you're a person that you go to Lifeway, every time Beth Moore writes something, every time Max Cicado writes something, you go to Lifeway and you buy that book, right? And you're reading like, oh, it's just fantastic. However, here's, the, here's where the problem comes in. Here's where the flaming arrow hits. Number one, it makes you think that, your, that, that my faith or other people's faith is your faith. Do you want to know what the problem with that is? Is that one day tragedy is going to strike you. One day hardship's going to come. And the reality is, I won't be there for you. I'm not going to be enough for you. You know, that tragedy's going to strike you. Your, your faith isn't going to be strong enough to handle it. Or, or you know what? Maybe I'll be out of town. Or maybe you don't have my cell phone number. Or, or maybe I'm busy doing something else. And I'm not good enough. So do, is it your faith? Or are you just tacked on to, to my passion or someone else's passion for their faith? Um, This happened in Corinthians. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, uh, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The reality is, like, like my faith is one thing. My passion for Jesus is one thing, and, that, and, and I appreciate that. And, and if you appreciate that, I'm glad you do. But I wasn't crucified for you. Max Cicado wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized and and you weren't saved in the name of Beth Moore. It was Christ. So is your faith, is is it rooted in him or is it rooted in me? Is it rooted in your church? Is it rooted in an author? Is it rooted in another preacher? And the second flaming arrow is that it makes you think that you're, you're truly in God's word. But here's the problem. When you're reading what God said to someone else about the scripture and that's all the scripture you're getting... You're, you're only tasting a feast. It's kind of like I, I was in Sam's this past week and the greatest thing ever happened. 
they brought out their new food carts, right? You know what I mean? Like the new samples, okay? And so I'm with Matt, Matt Moore. Matt Moore and I, we're, we're sitting here and we're, you know, we're going up. And I'm like, dude, 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 dude. And we're kind of looking around and she didn't offer us anything. And I was like, I want that. I really want that. Let's keep, let's go this way. We're going to turn around and come back and maybe, maybe she'll offer it to us, right? And if she doesn't, you just take it. Okay, and so anyway, so we keep going by, back and forth, she, and, and we passed her. We're like a good 10 feet away, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, if you've ever loved me, right? You know, and, and so she says, would you guys like to try this? Sure, why not? You know, I, I guess I'll give it a shot, right? And so the reality is, like, if that's all the Bible you're getting, the only scripture you're getting is reading what God said to someone else about it, you're just getting a sample of the feast. God is waiting to speak to you through his word. God's waiting to sustain you through his word. And you're only living on samples. Um, Matthew 4.4 4 says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I said this last week, don't be an emaciated Christian. Don't be someone living on just tastes of scriptures and verses that you hear other people say. Let God speak to you through you being in his word. Um, the third and the last shield that we pick up, and I think this is the one most of us pick up instead of faith, is our righteous acts. Church does a terrible thing when it, when, it shows, when it shows like law over Jesus. Like we have a hard time explaining what Jesus is really after. And the reality is he's really after your heart, not what you do. What you do follows your heart. Um, but we're taught from an early age, maybe growing up with our parents, we were taught in church, do this, don't do this, right? You know what I mean? Now, I was a hyperactive kid. I don't know if you could believe that. And so, like, I was constantly being told in church, do this, don't do this. Not really do this, just don't do this a lot, okay? And so I'm being constantly told, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And maybe, you know, if you didn't grow up under the teaching of Brother John, then maybe what you heard from the pulpit was a lot of do this, don't do this. And you heard the law. I heard a preacher say this one time about growing up in church. He said, the preachers I regularly heard in the church in which I was raised tended to interpret and preach scripture without Christ as a central. Instead, characters like Abraham and Paul were commended as, as models of sincere faith and loyal obedience. On the other hand, men like Adam and Judas were criticized as the antithesis of proper moral behavior. Thus, scripture became nothing more than a source book for moral lessons on Christian living, whether good or bad. And so if I'm good enough, God will be happy and, and he'll give me what I want. Now, here's the flaming arrow that comes with that. He, Satan's trying to, to trick you into believing that faith is a formula. That do this, you get this. If I do this, I'll have the favor of God. If I don't do this, God will be mad at me, right? And so you reduce faith to a formula. Why? Because the rest of the world works like that. The rest of the world works uh, uh, on contingencies like that. God doesn't. God doesn't at all. And so here's the problem. The, the first problem with that is that righteous acts don't save you. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one. There's nothing you can do that will ever be good enough to save you. Um, the second thing, righteous acts turn Jesus into duty, not a passion. Into a duty, not a passion. And this is religion. And religion is anti-Jesus. Religion's absolutely anti-Jesus. Religion is do this, do your duty, right? And then you will have the favor of God. And that's not what Jesus said at all. That's not what Christianity is about. You know what Christianity is about? Christianity is not about um, doing your duty. Christianity is about a passionate pursuit. It's about a passionate pursuit. Do you know why? Because it started with a passionate pursuit. Look at what Jesus did for us. He 
passionately pursued us. First John 4, 19. We love because why? He first loved us. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a passionate pursuit for you. Tomorrow, we're going to remember some soldiers who died. Why? They died out of passion, not just out of duty. I heard... Uh, um, Uh, G.K. Chesterton Chesterton say this, the true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. In the same way, Jesus died for us. He passionately loves us, passionately pursues us. And what does he deserve in return? Our passionate pursuit of him. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to to just begrudgingly say, okay, yeah, whatever you want, don't do this. No, he wants you to passionately pursue him. Um, Duty doesn't ever inspire passion. You know what it does? It kills it. Duty never inspires passion. It kills it. Think about it. How many of you guys have had a date night on the calendar every, every night uh, for, the, you know, for however many years? You know, every, 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 every week, this night of the week, we're going out, right? Have you ever had those date nights where you go out and you do it out of duty? Aren't they awesome, right? You know what I mean? Like, don't they end well? Never, right? Like, duty does not inspire passion. It kills it. John Wesley, um, who, if you don't know who John Wesley is, he's, he, uh, the Methodist came from John Wesley. He was a great evangelist. Um, the Methodists today don't really resemble him as much um, as, as when he started. But John Wesley is an amazing evangelist, and he tried this. This was the shield he picked up, righteous acts. Um, and and here's, here, I want to read a, a little bit about what he says about it. Um, since the age of 10, Wesley had labored to attain right standing with God through his own efforts. He wrote about this in his journal, and here's what he wrote. And what I now hope to be saved by was not being so bad as other people and having still a kindness for religion and reading the Bible, going to church, saying my prayers. I set apart an hour or two a day for religious retirement. I communed every week, communicated every week. I watched against all sin, whether in word or deed. I began to aim at and pray for inward holiness, so that now, doing so much and living such a good life, I doubted not, but I was a good Christian. Right? So he, he, was, he was relying on what he could do for Jesus. In fact, it went on into his ministry. Not only was he being relying, relying on righteous acts to save him, he was relying on his ministry to save him. Um, he described his ministry as this. All the time I was at Savannah, I was thus beating the air. I sought to establish my own righteousness and so labored in the fire all my days. So he went out to minister to people and he thought, this will get me the favor of God. This will be good enough. And what does he say? I felt like I was swinging, beating at the air. And finally, saved by faith alone. Soon after returning to England, Wesley had a burning heart experience. It occurred May 24, 1738. He famously recounted this life-changing event in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. Does that describe any of you guys here today? I very unwillingly came to Christ Church this morning. Um, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that it had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And so, John Wesley now trusted Jesus. Why? Just to trust him. He didn't try to earn it anymore. And what happened? He said he felt a warming. An amazing thing happened. His ministry exploded. And he became one of the greatest evangelists we've ever seen. And someone once asked him, he said, why, why do so many people show up to hear you talk? And here's what he said. He says, many years ago, I set myself on fire and they're coming to watch me burn. How awesome is that? 
Like, I, that's what I want on my tombstone, all right? Like, if you come Saturday, something happens, put that on my tombstone, all right? Don't put, idiot wrecked a car, right? Like, put, I set myself on fire and people came to watch me burn. His, he, the passion for G, that Jesus had for Wesley set Wesley on fire with a passion for Jesus, And so it's not righteous acts. Righteous acts do what? They serve us and they steal passion away. That's what duty does. It steals passion away from us. And so a passionate pursuit of of Jesus results every time in what? Joy. In joy. This is what Wesley was talking about. 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's the result of living in faith. So let's get to it. Maybe some of you in here, maybe some of you in here, you know what? You have been attaching yourself to morality. You've been attaching yourself to other people's faith. Maybe you've been admiring faith. Maybe some of you have been trying like John Wesley did with your righteous acts. Maybe some of you need to trust Jesus for the first time today. And maybe there's some of you in here who are Christians. And what you need to do is you need to stop picking up these false shields. And you need to pick up the shield of faith. Let's real quickly see what that is. The shield of faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So we can be sure of things we hope for and hold deep convictions of those things that we haven't seen. Um, and so what is that assurance? Where's that assurance coming from? If you ask a Christian that, well, okay, that's a great verse and, and I'm glad you can quote it to me. Where's that assurance coming from? Who's giving that to us? Where is faith coming from? Where's that assurance? And, and here's the reality. And, and if you want to talk to me later about this, we absolutely can, but I want to get through it real quick. Faith is a gift. Faith absolutely is a gift. It only comes from God. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. So it originates with Jesus. Romans 12, 3 says, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. It's a gift from God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so what's our responsibility? You say, okay, so it's a gift, so I just sit here? What's our responsibility? We have two responsibilities with faith. And if you want to live in faith, you do these two things. One, your responsibility is to nurture it, is to nurture it. We see in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 that faith can grow. It says, as your faith increases. So how do we nurture it? How do we grow it? A nurture faith, number one, was scripture. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the word of God. Faith isn't a blind hope, okay? I, I didn't say have a blind faith, right? Just be like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? You know, I'm not saying a blind faith, okay? Uh, faith is rooted in something. It's rooted in some evidence. That's, that's truly what it, what it means. And let me give you an example. Um, my, as I grew up and as I experienced my, my earthly father's love for me, my faith in my earthly father grew. It grew because why? Because I trusted and knew more about his love for me. And so in every situation that grew and my, my confidence in him grew and grew and grew. And so, you know, uh, it reminds me of a time we, this, this little cocker spaniel as a puppy, uh, was, was, uh, came up to our house and we picked him up and we put it, we were going to take him to the vet or wherever you take him. I don't know. And so anyway, as I picked him up, he, he ripped a hole in my arm. And so I'm standing there with my little sister and I'm like, that hurt. I can see in there, right? And so, you know, the first thing I did, I called for my dad. Why? Because I trust my dad. The more I learned about his love for me, the more my faith in my dad grew. I knew that my dad couldn't come over and go be healed, right? But I knew that my dad could take care of it. Why? Because he loved me and I knew he would want to. I knew he would want to have my best interest at heart. And faith is the same thing. 
Faith is the same thing. The more that you read about God's love for you, the more that you read about how great he is, your faith will grow in him. It will absolutely grow in him. The second thing, the second thing, so the first thing, nurture it. The second thing, act on it. Martin Luther said this, the true living faith which the Holy Spirit instills into the heart simply cannot be idle. We've read this uh, several times, but James 2.26 tells us that faith without works is dead. So our responsibility as God gives us faith is to nurture it and what? Act in it. To act upon it. Um, and, and I kind of... I'm going to make a bold statement here, and, and, and I know it's bold, but I believe it's scripturally accurate, and, and I want to say this to you. If you aren't living out your faith, if it isn't exercised in your life, I would wonder if you have faith at all, or if you're simply admiring someone else's. Does that make sense? If you're not living out in faith, if there aren't actions attached to your faith, I wonder if you have any faith at all. Or if you simply are attaching yourself and admiring someone else's and admiring godly things. Does that make sense? And so, um, what does it mean to act in faith? You might say, okay, what, what are you talking about? I gotta act in faith. All right, what does that mean? We say to live in faith. We use these, these terms. What does that mean? Um, to live in faith is this, is to trust God is who he says he is and live in that truth. We need to trust God is who he says he is and live in that truth. Let me give you an example. God says he's love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God says he has a plan for you today. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. God says he's in control. Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's will. God says he, he has his way, uh, uh, he, excuse me, God says his way leads to life, purpose, and joy, and the world's way leads to destruction. Matthew seven thirteen through 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So to live in faith is to believe all those things, and to live like we believe them. So, let me give you an example. If God is love, as we just read, then shouldn't I enjoy that love and extend it to others? That's how I live out that reality. If God has a plan for me today, shouldn't I look to show his love to someone today? That's how we live out that reality. If God is in control, shouldn't I reject anxiety and trust him by bringing everything to him in prayer? That's how we live out that reality. If God's way leads to, to my joy, shouldn't I try to know him better and learn more about him and his plan for me through his word every single day it's living out that faith right it's living that reality to live in faith is to live with the reality of of god and to live believing he is who he claims to be and that's living that out and what's the result what's the result the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one extinguish the flaming darts and you might say, Grant, okay, this is, this is really nice. Thank you for all that. You have no idea what he's throwing at me. You have no idea the flaming darts that I face every day. You have no idea. Uh, maybe it's health problems. Maybe there are problems in your family that you, you just can't quite wrap your head around. Maybe it's financial problems and you feel like, like every step forward is too back. Maybe it's an anger problem you're battling. Maybe it's a lust problem that you're battling. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe, maybe you're talking about this faith and you're like, oh, no, I'm all right, right? Like maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's stress like we talked about. And you might say, like, those things are mountains in front of me, right? Like, like Grant, we're talking about this and you're like, just live by faith. Those are mountains in front of me. 
Like, how in the world am I supposed to just trust him, right? Like, just trust him and just, just try to learn more about him and trust him more. Like, I have these huge flaming arrows. These are mountains I have to cross. Here's God's promise about mountains. Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. May our prayer be that we would be people of faith. May we live as if God is that reality. Some of us in here have been living with faith in yourself. And maybe you've been attached to morality. Like, well, I'm, I'm better than that guy. Well, at least I've never killed anybody, right? You know what I mean? We've been living like that. The reality is, if that's your faith, if your faith is attached to other people, if your faith is, is, is attached to, to your relative morality, then there is no faith. And if you wonder, where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's all of that in my life? It's not there because your faith isn't where it belongs. Your faith isn't in Christ. And so therefore, you don't know Christ. Here's the good news. God's waiting to forgive you today and God's waiting to give you a new life today. And you can have it. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is submit to him and say, God, I'm sorry that I'm living my own way. I'm gonna live a new way now. For the rest of us in this room who are believers, who have been following Christ, maybe so many times we just cast that shield of faith aside and we keep picking up these other stupid shields. And every time what happens, every time we get burned, every single time, but we keep picking up those shields. Maybe today we need to stop living defeated lives and start picking up the shield of faith. Maybe you need to start nurturing your faith. Maybe that's been the problem. Maybe you haven't been nurturing your faith. Maybe you haven't been in the word. Maybe you've been attached to, to my faith or Brother John's faith or the church's faith or, or, or another preacher's faith or a book's faith or something like that. But, but maybe you haven't been nurturing your own faith by being in the word of God. Um, maybe that's what you needed to do. Maybe you need to, to make a decision. I'm gonna live in faith now. I'm gonna live in purpose now. Knowing that God is his sovereign in control of every aspect of my life, I'm gonna trust him in every aspect of my life. And maybe there's some parts of your life you've been holding on to and you need to surrender today. I don't know. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you need to do today. But here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray for us um, and then Matt's gonna come and, and um, we're, gonna, we're gonna move on and we're gonna take the offering and we're gonna do some other things I'm really excited about. Um, but this invitation to you is to you. I don't know what you need to do. I don't know if it's, it's a very personal thing. But here's what I will tell you. After the service, you talk to God now. While we pray, you talk to God and you do what you need to do. But after the service, I'll be right here. I say this every week. I'm the last one to leave the room. Brother John will be right here. Matt will be right here. And you come talk to us. If you say, you know what? My faith's been in me. I need to put my faith in Christ now for the first time. Come do that. Come find us. Maybe some of you Christians during this time as we pray, maybe you need to kneel in your chair and pray. Maybe you need to stand. I don't know. Maybe you just need to sit there quietly. But you need to pray and, and, and maybe you need to, to start to say, God, I'm gonna start nurturing my faith. I'm sorry. I'm gonna start trusting you in all aspects of my life. I don't know what it is. I'm gonna start living with you as a reality. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just when I'm at church, but as a reality all the time. Maybe you need to pray that today. And afterwards, if you want to come up and, and you want to find us and pray with us, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. So you come do that. But during this time as we pray, this is you and God time. You, you say what you need to say to him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you. Um, that God, when we've been 
we've been faithless, you've been faithful. And God, um, for those in this room who don't know you, God, they don't know peace, they don't know joy. God, they've been living for themselves their whole life. God, would you um, let them know that? And would you let them know today that they can be forgiven? They can stand before you clean. No matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, they can stand before you clean. If they would just trust you. If they'd stop trying so hard. If they'd stop trying to clean themselves up. If they'd stop trying to just be, I'm just going to be a good person. If they stop doing that and just trust you, you'll make them a good person. You'll make them a better person. God, would you just let them know they can relax today and breathe and be forgiven? For those in this room who are followers of you, God, sometimes we picked up the wrong shield. And we do it every time. It seems so stupid, but we do it every time. We pick up the wrong shield and we get burned. God, help us to nurture our faith in your word, thereby protecting us from believing all these lies that are thrown at us every day. God, teach us to set down these other shields and to pick up our shield of faith, our trust in you, to live with you as a reality, to live with you as a reality, not just in these walls, but in our homes, at our dinner tables. When we talk to our kids, your reality, you're there. When we're at our jobs, your reality, you're there. When we're in traffic, you're there. You are, re- you are a reality. You are in control. May we start to live that way. So God, whatever you need to do in us today, we pray that you would do it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.